morning. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're going to be talking about verses 17 to 42 this morning. Last week, we talked about how Ananias and Sapphira sold some property and gave some of the money to the church. The problem was that they lied about it, saying that they had given all the money when they had only given part. Peter made it clear that they didn't have to give anything. But the problem was that they had lied, apparently trying to buy prestige or influence. News of Ananias and Sapphira's death spread throughout Jerusalem. News also spread about Peter's healing of the man who had been a paraplegic for 40 years. And people began bringing family and friends to be healed. As the apostles healed them, the crowds grew larger and larger. That brings us up to this morning. Verse 17 picks up the story. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we have offered our prayers to you and have worshipped you in song. We ask now that your Holy Spirit would apply your word to our hearts and help us become more and more committed to you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now remember that the apostles had been teaching the crowds of new believers in the temple when one day Peter healed a man who had been a paraplegic for 40 years. This drew a crowd of unbelievers, and Peter preached to them, calling them to repentance. That concerned the authorities who had them jailed overnight and brought to a hearing the next day where they were commanded not to talk about Jesus anymore. They said they had to speak about what they had seen and heard. When news about the healing of the paraplegic man spread, People from all over Jerusalem and surrounding towns started bringing their sick family and friends to the temple to be healed. And the apostles healed them and taught about Jesus in direct violation of the authorities' executive order. This, of course, came to the attention of the leaders of the temple who were not pleased. I can just imagine the response. Did we not order these men to stop talking about this guy, Jesus? And yet, look at the crowds they are drawing by healing in his name. They are in direct violation of our executive order and must be stopped. 
government rulers sent the temple police to arrest the apostles and put them back in jail while they made arrangements to have another hearing before the full Sanhedrin the next day. I'm sure it would have been a long night in jail for the apostles, except for the fact that in verses 19 and 20, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. An angel of the Lord is telling them to defy orders given by the highest Jewish governing body in the land. Surely he's kidding, right? I mean, this is the second time they were arrested for talking about Jesus, and now they have jailbreaking added to their charges, and they're supposed to go right back out on the temple grounds again and preach the gospel? We find out in verse 40 that obedience to the Lord's command through the angel resulted in some pretty painful consequences. Contrary to the health, wealth, and prosperity people, God often leads us down some pretty painful roads in this life. When the high priest and his associates came to work that morning, they called the entire Sanhedrin together and sent the temple police to bring the apostles up out of jail. Undoubtedly armed with their shields and spears and swords, the temple police went down to the jail to escort the twelve apostles to their trial. To their utter amazement, they found the jail guards in place, the doors shut and locked, but no one was inside. This had to have terrified the jail guards because they would be held responsible, and the penalty could be death by burning. The temple police reported this to the rulers who were dumbfounded. My guess is that they had been planning to punish the jail guards when someone, peering out the window overlooking the enormous temple courtyard, said in verse 25, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Again, I can just imagine the conversation. You can't be serious. They're flaunting their rebellion publicly. They are snubbing their nose at us. Send the temple guard to drag them in here immediately. Whoa, wait a minute. We've got to be careful about this. As you can see by the crowd out there, they are very popular with the people right now. If we rile up that crowd, we may end up with a riot on our hands. They may even stone the temple police. Yeah, but we can't just do nothing. Tell the captain of the temple police to bring them in, but do it as peacefully as possible. Verse 26, therefore, says the officers did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Let's read what happens next in verses 27 and 28. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, they were guilty. <laughs> and... If, there were, if they weren't government leaders, they would have good reason to be concerned. Under Jewish law, you could get the death penalty for having someone executed unjustly, like they had done with Jesus. Starting in verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. 
We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now that took a lot of guts. Peter is standing for a group of high government officials whose executive order they had just defied twice. Men could, who could have them beaten and maybe even executed. And yet Peter doubles down saying, we must obey God rather than man. And then the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. If I were one of the apostles, I might have been thinking, ouch, I wonder if we needed a more tactful spokesman. Notice in verse 30 that once again, as we've seen in previous weeks, the resurrection is the central focus of the gospel message. And not only that, but Peter says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. Peter's point was that this resurrection was the very work of the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom these rulers claim to represent. As we will see in a minute, this point seems to have hit home to one of them, a man by the name of Gamaliel, who became concerned that he and the other rulers may actually be fighting against God, the God of their ancestors. As for the rest of the rulers, verse 33 says, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Now, they didn't have the legal authority to put anyone to death without Roman permission, but they almost certainly could have got that permission if they wanted it. And beside that, although they insisted that the apostles obey their orders, they weren't above breaking Roman laws if they thought they could get away with it. After all, they would later have Stephen stoned to death without Roman authority. So the apostles' lives were now potentially on the line. Fortunately for the apostles, according to verses 34 to 37, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. So Gamaliel has the apostles removed from the room, so the rulers could deliberate in private. Now, we know of Gamaliel from history. He was one of the most respected rabbis of his day. He was also a teacher of the Apostle Paul before Paul was saved. I suspect that Paul had learned what happened during this private meeting of the Sanhedrin from his teacher Gamaliel, who was there, and that Luke learned about it from Paul. So after the apostles were gone, Gamaliel warns his fellow members of the Sanhedrin to be careful because if they have the apostles executed, they may actually be working against God. Verse 35, Gamaliel says, Men of Israel, be careful what you intend to do these men. Gamaliel argues that if the apostles are not from God, their movement will just fizzle out by itself or be crushed by the authorities. He then gives two examples from history. A man named Thutis and another one named Judas the Galilean. The Jewish historian Josephus, writing in the first century, right about the time that John wrote his gospel, tells us about a rebel named Thutis, 
Josephus says this Thutis was a magician who deluded people into thinking that he was a prophet. Some scholars think Thutis was trying to get people to accept him as a messiah, and I think that's probably true. He persuaded about 400 people to follow him out of the desert, where Thutis promised to divide the Jordan River by his command alone. When a would-be messiah or prophet gets 400 people to follow him, that had to be concerning to the authorities. When this would-be prophet or messiah says he's going to divide the Jordan River like Joshua had done just before conquering the Holy Land, that was the last straw. They sent troops to intervene, slaughtering many of Thutis' followers. They captured Thutis alive and beheaded him. The Thutis movement ended right then and there and came to nothing. Gamaliel's second example was a man known as Judas the Galilean. Josephus talks about Judas the Galilean and calls him Judas Ezekias, not to be confused with Judas Iscariot, who would be a disciple of Jesus. Judas Ezekias was a physically strong man who led a band of robbers only a couple of years before Jesus was born. He successfully attacked the palace in Sepphoris, a city only a few miles uphill from Nazareth where Jesus would grow up. Judas Ezekias seized all the money and the weapons that were there and went around terrorizing people, apparently in an attempt to establish himself as a king or messiah. After significant difficulty, Herod was finally able to put an end to his reign of terror. Gamaliel's point was that as dangerous as these men and their movements were, they eventually came to nothing. So in verses 38 and 39, Gamaliel says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. I'm sure there was a lot more discussion and debate. But in the end, Gamaliel prevailed. Verse 40 says, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, before I go on, I just want to point out the historical nature of this story. The existence of the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, Gamaliel, Thutis, and Judas the Galilean have all been verified by historical sources outside the Bible. Critics will point out that Josephus says Judas came first before Thutis, but Luke says Thutis came first. The critics therefore say Luke got it wrong. Now, personally, I trust Luke more than I trust Josephus. Aside from the fact that I think Luke is inspired by God, I think Luke may be writing as much as 20 years closer to the time of Thutis and Judas than Josephus is. But whatever the case, the point is that Luke is writing genuine history that can often be verified by other historical sources. We will see this more and more the farther we get into the book of Acts. Anyway, the apostles were not executed as many on the Sanhedrin originally wanted, but they didn't get off easy. They were stripped and flogged, which could involve up to 39 hard lashes. Pharisee tradition was to whip the victims 26 times on the back and 13 times on the front. After the severe beating, the apostles, who could probably barely walk, came away depressed and defeated. Now I just wanted to see if you were still awake. Verse 41 says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing 
because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name. That's pretty amazing if you think about it. They were undoubtedly in excruciating pain, but were excited that they had the honor of suffering for Jesus. The apostles probably remembered what Jesus had taught when he said, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. So they would let nothing stop them from proclaiming Jesus. Verse 42 says, Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I think the main point of this whole passage is pretty simple. The apostles were given an executive order by what was, next to the Romans, the highest level of their government. Twice, they were specifically ordered to stop talking about Jesus. But their attitude was that we must obey God rather than man. And they allowed neither repeated imprisonments, nor beatings, nor threats of death to stop them. In fact, after a severe beating, they even rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. A while back, there was a story from an organization called The Voice of the Martyrs. The story was about a 31-year-old Christian mother named Vani, who lived in India. She was arrested and thrown in jail on charges of kidnapping and forced conversion a common charge against Christians in India. Everyone knew the charges were bogus and that the real reason for her arrest was that she just wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. Her jail cell had no windows and no beds, just mats on a concrete floor. But like the apostles, she wouldn't let a little thing like jail time shut her up. She started talking about Jesus with the 70 other women in her jail. 14 of them became Christians. In fact, after she got out, she continued to go back to the jail, bringing snacks and praying for the prisoners and even the guards. One guard even got saved and invited Vani to her home. Like the apostles, she loved Jesus above all else and wouldn't let the government or a little jail time keep her from talking about Jesus. We've been very fortunate to have been spared persecution in America, but those days are coming to an end. Christian bakers, camp owners, Adoption agencies, counselors, a photographer, an artist, pharmacists, medical workers, businesses, and others have come under attack because they would not violate their Christian convictions. Churches have been shut down and some have been fined. And because of the discriminatory ways churches have been treated in some states, it is very clear that this has not always been about health concerns. I am convinced that this relatively mild persecution will only get worse, and we should prepare ourselves. I pray that, like the apostles, God would give us boldness to stand for him, regardless of the consequences. One final point. The apostles had the guts and audacity to stand before the highest body of political rulers in Israel, who were also the highest religious leaders, and talk to them about repentance and forgiveness of sins in verse 31. I will keep repeating this over and over again because repetition is good education. But repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. Repentance is a sorrow for sin coupled with a genuine desire to change. To change from our sinful rebellion against God and from whatever idols we put before God. 
Faith, on the other hand, is turning to Jesus Christ as the king and ruler of your life. This repentance and faith cannot help but bring about a change in your life, which is why verse 32 says that God has given his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Obedience is not how you get saved, but it is the inevitable fruit of being saved. If you've never repented of your sin and turned your heart and life over to Jesus Christ in faith, please stop putting it off. You think you have a long time, but the truth is you never know when it will be too late. Following Jesus is more like joining the military than enjoying a nice retirement on a warm ocean beach. So I can't promise that Jesus will take away any of your troubles. The fact is that our commitment to Jesus did not save us from the problems and suffering of this life. It certainly didn't save the apostles from being jailed and whipped. But it does give us forgiveness of sins, peace and fellowship with God, a purpose for living, strength to get through the day, and a bright hope for a glorious life after death. Let's pray. Lord, give us the kind of boldness you gave to your apostles. And if there is anyone here this morning who does not know you as their ruler and king, I pray that you would impress on them the fleeting nature of life and draw them to yourself. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.